Welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice-weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast where I continue to be privileged to sit in this stool each week and interview some of the world's most influential luminaries, often best-selling authors, sometimes the world record holders or researchers. And like today's guests, they are business titans, company leaders of Companies where we buy their products and engage their services on a weekly basis to kind of see behind the scenes how do you develop a culture where people choose to come and stay for many decades in their career. Today's guest is Ed Bastian. He is the CEO of Delta Airlines, where I am now officially a two million miler. Grew up in Orlando, Florida, and lived in Salt Lake City, two of the three U.S. cities where they are Delta hubs, and I am an unabashed loyal supporter of Delta Airlines. Ed, welcome to On Leadership. Well, great to be with you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Ed, in preparation for today's interview, your team gave me access to what is a, a compelling documentary called The Steepest Climb, which really is an insider's view of Delta Airlines uh, trajectory, some rises and some falls. Talk a bit about why that documentary was produced. Well, the documentary, by the way, which is available on all of our flights on our in-flight entertainment channels, is a chronicle of what we went through primarily during the pandemic. We had a significant amount of interest as we were walking ourselves through day by day the journey, and we understood that we were into something that was really important. Important for us to get right, important that it will be studied for decades to come. And we wanted to maintain a, a current log of that experience. And that's what the steepest climb is. It tells the story of how Delta overcame the, the biggest challenge in our history. And we've been accustomed to dealing with crisis in the past, but this was certainly the grand, granddaddy of them all. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say one of the most difficult careers the last three years was that of, um, of a flight attendant, of an airline crew because of the politics, the controversy, the sometimes vitriol on the passengers. And, and so my, my gratitude goes out to all service workers, especially those across all airlines that navigated this really untenable culture. And something that I have felt that's come out of this is that uh, Delta feels like they're really putting their employee first. It doesn't mean that the customer is second but it feels like there is a loyalty and an esprit de corps that you all have rallied around your employees to make sure that they're well-trained and they're well-respected and that they're not abused by perhaps customers that have you know, behaved in a way we've all seen on airlines because of what was an uncharted you know, environment the last three years. I, I don't think that means your customers are second, but it feels like you've set a standard that you will honor the safety, the health, the mental well-being of your employees, and that doesn't come at the expense of a paying passenger. Those are my words, not your words. How would you respond to that? I'd agree with you. In fact, that's very similar to our long-term uh, ethos in which our founder, Mr. C. Woolman, started back almost 100 years ago. Uh, he has a, had a famous saying back then that we have in the walls, in the halls of Delta, that if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers, who in turn will generate the loyalty through, uh, through which our investors will reinvest in the company and keep the virtuous circle going. Uh, employees first here, from a leadership standpoint. I tell people I obsess on our people 
so that our people can then in turn obsess on our customers. And I want to make certain I'm giving our employees every tool, technique, uh, support they need to ensure they're doing a great job for our customers. And there never was a time where that was more obvious than the pandemic, given the certainly the volatility, the, the angst in the environment, our people had to go out to work in the world when authorities were telling people to stay home and to, and to uh, isolate in, uh, in, in place. We uh, did many, many things. You mentioned the wellness and the cleanliness in terms of how we keep the environment maintained. One of the biggest things that we did is that we blocked the middle seats on our planes through the entire uh, length of the pandemic until customers could get vaccinated. And the vast majority of our customers told us they were comfortable sitting in the middle seat. Uh, I tell people while I did that for our customers, certainly their confidence in travel, the more important cohort I did that was for our own employees, our flight attendants, our pilots, our airport agents, who didn't want to be in crowded airports or crowded planes any more than our customers did. So that's just a living example of how you put your people first and then they in turn take care of your customers. And by the way, as a result of that policy, we actually generated more revenue per plane than our competition did uh, by take, doing the right thing and, and leading with your values. Ed, Franklin Covey is known as the world's most trusted leadership firm. And we have a mantra here. It's called, we want to become a workplace of choice for achievers with heart. As established by our co-founder, Dr. Covey, gosh, nearly 40 years ago. And I think there's a special longevity to the tenure of employees at Franklin Covey, obviously a much smaller company than Delta. I myself was a colleague here for 25 years. It's very common at this company to see that level of tenure. And the same happens at Delta. As a two million miler, I fly multiple times a week. It is, it is very common to see uh, either a pilot or a grounds crew or a ticket agent or an attendant that's been with a firm 15, 20, 25 years. But there's a different esprit de corps that I feel inside of your organization than perhaps some of your competition, which I also fly as well. What's happening at Delta, where you've got a 25, 30 plus year employee that feels like it's their first year on the job? What's happening intentionally with your leadership that you've built that culture and that retention? Well, one of the things, Scott, that we focus a lot on here at Delta is relationship and the relationship that I have myself with the frontline individuals of the company is something that's very special. And it's across our entire leadership team. We all want to be in support and in service of our frontline agents, our frontline people that, that actually make it happen for our customers. We realize it's the people on the front lines of the company that actually make all the difference here. Uh, leadership's important, but without our people doing a great job, surprising, delighting, serving our customer base, that leadership uh, base here is not gonna be very effective. Uh, we talk a lot about servant leadership in business circles these days. Uh, Delta is a company that was founded on servant leadership and everything we do is putting the employee at the center of, of the leadership mantra to make sure we're driving great customer service. Ed, I'm a pretty well read guy, but I tell you, I can't name the CEO of McDonald's right now. I can't name the CEO of Walmart or Target but I can name the CEO of Delta Airlines because you have become, in many cases, the face of the airline, not on every welcome video, but on many of them over the course of the last couple of years. I think that started perhaps with your predecessor. What, what are the conditions that you feel need to be present 
when a CEO takes the risk of becoming not maybe the face, but a prominent face of a brand. I'm guessing you had to be lured into that. Perhaps your family uh, encouraged you not to. Who knows? What conditions do you think need to be ripe where someone like you, the CEO of a major household name, chooses to put herself or out there as, if not the, a face of the brand? Well, I don't know that it was my choice. Uh, I think our customers wanted to know who I was. Our employees uh, knew me, but they didn't know me at the level until I became CEO. Uh, it's not a very comfortable feeling, as you said, to be the face of a, of a large international brand, but I think it's important, and it's important that, that companies hear, and I know a lot of consumers want to know what the leader of this brand that they're investing their time and their, their wallet with, what they stand for, what, what our company stands for. And so it's pretty hard to make certain that the values of the brand get properly espoused, particularly in a large service organization, if you don't have a, a, a human face on it. It's, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's, you, can, you can come up with a, lot, a great amount of marketing and a great amount of PR, but they need to hear and they need to touch and they need to see it in action. And it's not just on the in-flight videos, as you mentioned, but it's it's every day. It's out in the out in the airports. It's in the the market. It's it's the various news reports that we we do, and it's something I've had to learn. I'm I'm now finishing my eighth year as CEO, and I'd say I, I wouldn't want to go back and watch the tapes of my first couple of years, but I think over the last few years I have gotten comfortable in that space. What's the what's the downside or risk if you were if you were coaching a group of Fortune 5,000 CEOs, or for that matter, Inc. 5,000 CEOs? Would you click through a couple of maybe circumstances where you think it's not right for the CEO to become the public face of a, of a company? I think it has to be relevant. I think it has to, people need to understand why they're talking to, uh, to, to a leader uh, and an individual. You mentioned several brands, several large consumer brands that you wouldn't necessarily know the leader's names uh, or faces. I would say that they are not, they're, they're delivering a, a product of, of uh, they're not necessarily delivering a service. So I think it has to be relevant to the consumer. I think there has to be a relevance to the employee group. I think there has to be a, a reason you're doing it. It has to be authentic. It, it needs, you can't do it for publicity's sake. You need to do it as an added level of service to your customer base. Ed, you were recently in the news, maybe surprisingly so. I think you were giving a speech or a keynote somewhere, and you chose to do something that is highly unusual for a CEO, non-existent for a politician. And that is, you in essence made a rare admission that a mistake was made. And this has to do around Delta's frequent flyer changes. And it was a really unusual sign of character and leadership for the CEO not to either hide or obfuscate or spin or posture or position. It was in the news recently that Delta Airlines chose to, I might say, um, elevate the criteria for certain levels of stature on your frequent flyer program. I don't think, I think most of us forget that after the pandemic, you grandfathered most of us in. I remained a diamond, even though I didn't deserve it for a year. So thank you to you and your team for honoring your loyal members like myself. I was privileged to have diamond benefits having not earned them for a year because I didn't fly for nine months. But you talked about a couple of weeks ago that perhaps your team had a bias to action, right? They were trying to solve some problems that were clearly issues. You know, you've got crown rooms that are full. You've got, you know, first class upgrades that are more and more scarce. That's a good thing because 
more people are flying and they're earning more business and they're seeing their relatives. But I'm guessing it took an unusual level of courage and diplomacy for you to say, hey, you know what? We may got it, maybe we got it wrong and we're gonna recalibrate it. I'm paraphrasing. Would you talk to how difficult it is for C-level people to say to the public, hey, maybe we got it wrong and we're gonna do it right? Because it's, it's more the um, exception than it is the rule. Well, one of the things that we had the opportunity when we were going through the pandemic to really test ourselves on was the, our, 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 our vulnerability to things outside of our control, uh, our openness to say we didn't have the answer. And the pandemic clearly was that on, on steroids. Uh, so when, you know, some of the lessons that I learned through the pandemic was being able to, to listen, uh, to make certain that uh, we took people forward with us, that we weren't trying to leave others behind. And you're right, our, our loyalty team had a, had a mission that they needed to accomplish, which was to reduce some of the pressure on our premium assets because we have lines out the door for our Sky Clubs and we have limitations on the, how many premium customers we can serve. And we have more premium customers, customers than we had assets. But I'll tell you, by expressing vulnerability in that, you know, I recognize that we didn't get it right, uh, first step, also allowed customers to uh, come back to me with you know their own ideas, uh, some of which were very helpful as we go through a redesign of the steps that we talked about a few weeks ago. Secondly, it gave our customers a chance for them to express their their intense loyalty for our product and our brand and our people, which was really great to hear. So it wasn't all negative in that respect. From from my standpoint, I got a great uh, pulse of our customer base as to where they are on the topic. And we'll be still making some changes, but I think we'll make the changes now with some better insight from our customers, which are really hard to do uh, anytime you're touching loyalty to make change. As a diamond flyer, I've mentioned, I fly your airline uh, sometimes four and five times a week. And I think 95% of my interactions with Delta members is just phenomenal. Patient, kind, genuine, empathetic. And like any organization, you're gonna have you know, an outlier group where I'm in an airport and I am treated you know, maybe, maybe um, less than gracious than I would have hoped for, regardless of my status. And I think, oh my gosh, I wish Ed were here to see this because he would like, you know, take that person and coach them at like, what was the right level of engagement. It happens in every company. I think, I think you all have managed to create uh, a broad level of adoption to your values and your customer service behaviors. Here's my question. How many employees at Delta Worldwide? 100,000. You have 100,000 people that have dozens of touch points every day, right? You've got tens of millions of customer touch points happening every day. Every one of them is not gonna be great. You're gonna have people that feel abused. They're at the end of their career. They're feeling you know, unrewarded, whatever it is. What do you do as CEO to hope that every representative of 100,000 people is trained, is educated, who understands they may have to you know, exhibit a natural, undeserving level of patience. How do you build a culture where everything's being recorded? Everything's being taped now, posted to Instagram. You're really rewarded for all the great touch points. You're called out in a matter of seconds when something goes wrong. Any advice on how you build a culture of touch points when you're gonna get stuff done wrong, stuff's gonna go wrong, 
but it's an outlier, but it seems like a mainstream experience for people. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, that's a great question, Scott. And there's certainly a lot of things that we do. One, one of the areas of focus that we have here is working with our frontline managers, the, the direct supervisors of our frontline teams and making certain that our frontline managers are visible, they're out right alongside our employees. Gets a little tougher with some of our groups that fly, such pi uh, pilots and flight attendants, which are, can be in four or five different places in the course of a day. But maintaining that, that relationship that our frontline managers have with their individuals uh, on their team, their front frontline staff, is one of the ways in which you can make certain that the message and the culture is being uh, carried out and delivered in the ways that we 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 like. We talk a lot at the company at at all levels of the organization about service, about uh, the service from the heart. We talk about service not just in the form of service to our to our customers, a service to our communities, and the work that Delta is famous for, in in Atlanta, Orlando, Salt Lake City, L.A., all across the world, candidly all again, measures of service in which our people are taking the lead on and we can learn from each other. And I'll say the last thing, I'll tell you just a little tip on my end. When I became CEO eight years ago, uh, my you know, advice I received from several folks was that I was already too public a figure and I needed to become a little less accessible. I needed to change my email and have a secret uh, email, uh, secret cell phone so that I wouldn't be bothered, I wouldn't be disturbed. And I thank them for that that advice, and I didn't didn't implement any of it. So I'm probably also one of the most easily found and easily accessible CEOs in the country. It's not hard to find me. Uh, I only have one email. I only have one cell phone, and I monitor it myself personally and maintain uh, the relationship with with customers when things go good, when things go bad, as well as employees. So people know they can reach me at all times, and it's amazing when when they know, they feel like they can reach the CEO and get a response pretty quickly, whether it's an employee or customer, someone in the community, how that level, that, that kind of ties the full circle together of service from the, you know, from, from the top as well as from the ground. And I have to tell you, it's an honor to have you on today because I wanted to share this story. Uh, about a decade ago, I was flying from Salt Lake City to um, Sydney, Australia. And the, the most reasonable route was to do a stopover in Honolulu and then go over. So I gave a speech in Honolulu, and that evening I had dinner at a restaurant and ate some fish that about three hours into the flight gave me the most violent case of food poisoning I'd ever had between Honolulu and Auckland, New Zealand, which was the, was, was the stopping point, I believe, to get to um, Sydney at the time. So here I am, fortunately in the forward cabin, because it was a business trip, and I got a violent case of food poisoning. And we've all been there once or twice in our life. And the, the, the kindness that your purser showed me in first class. I, mean, I was violently throwing up. I had to go to the lavatory every 10 minutes for five or six hours. Honest to God, I did not want to survive. It was so humiliating and uncomfortable. It was horrific. But this flight attendant kept bringing me over bags. She kept bringing me over warm washcloths. She talked to the... The, the passenger next to me to explain what was going on, that I wasn't you know, a lunatic, I had, had food poisoning, and just the kind and courtesy that that woman showed me, like it's making me emotional 10 years later. I, I finally got some sleep. They then walked me to my gate. I had to make another connection to Auckland to get to Sydney. They actually got my luggage and walked me to my gate, which was like on the other side 
of this, wherever I was, airport. And I want to share that because it's hard to institutionalize that, right? But I hope that there will be tens of thousands of Delta employees. For that matter, any employee who's involved in a customer touch point to say, you never know what's going on in a passenger's life or a customer's life, and you might need to share an exercise, a little bit extra humanity, because I have told that story hundreds of times in keynotes about a woman that knew nothing about me, I never saw again, but showed me a level of humanity that honestly made me want to stay alive in an otherwise nightmare situation. Perhaps that preceded your time as CEO, but I, I, think, it's, um, I think it's a cultural imperative that I see in your organization. So, sir, to you and your 100,000 colleagues, um, well done. Well, Scott, on, the, on that, as we all know, uh, it's in times of, of crisis or difficulty that people find out who you really are. My mm -hmm. former uh, uh, chairman of the company at Delta, Frank Blake, shared when the pandemic started that you know people think that crisis somehow is formed, or excuse me, character is formed out of crisis. And he said, no, that's not the case. You know, uh, Characters are revealed in crisis. And that, those were the words that I measured myself with in our actions every single day during the pandemic and even post-pandemic now. It still, it still uh, relates to me because we don't have a playbook for what happens, but we always want people to see us in the most difficult of times, how we behave, how we care, how we serve, really tells you who they are. And our flight attendants, our airport agents, our pilots, all the people of Delta Airlines understand that their job is to take care of you. And they also understand that there's many times not a playbook. Uh, they weren't anticipating your difficulty. And you know, every single day of the year, you know, we go through similar types of stories and sometimes much more difficult stories, including deaths on board planes occasionally. Yeah. And the, the comments that I continue to hear back from our customers after those episodes tell me that, that you have now made a, a, a customer for life and a, a family that will share the story many times over, it just warms my heart and it tells me we're training and we're speaking and we're letting our people know that service is, is something and hospitality is something that you're not, you're not trained particularly to, you have to have it in your heart, you have to have it within your makeup, but our ability to execute at that level, um, you know, on their own, making their own decisions is, is really priceless. Everybody of course has an outlier story but I was on a flight a few months ago where an elderly passenger boarded a plane. He looked very ill. You could tell he was at the end of his life. And he was accompanied by what looked to be a family member. He did expire in the middle of this flight. And the way that um, flight attendant handled that with um, talking with his loved one, they covered what appeared to be his father with a blanket, did not make a big deal out of it. It just, I kind of watched it. It was, a, it was a road to the left and behind me. And I watched how the attendants attended to his loved one, graciously covered him. It just was a, it was a lesson in hospitality and what is an uncomfortable position for anyone, right? Passengers around this person, the attendants. Um, I could share lots of stories. If you ever need a testimony, I'm your guy. Let's pivot to um, the skills you hire for. In 2023, going into the next year, Obviously, you do not personally interview pilots, I'm guessing, or ground crew, although maybe you do that as a spot check. What are the most important competencies you look for in hiring new members into the Delta family? Well, we have hired a lot of people. We've had a lot of practice at this over the last few years. 
I mentioned the 100,000 employees of the company currently, a full one third of them are new to our company just over the last three years during COVID. We had a fair number of people uh, early retire. We encouraged early retirements. And one of the things I was also most proud of when you talk about building culture, uh, at Delta, we did not furlough a single employee during COVID. And so one of the only airlines in the world that could say it, probably one of the only companies in the world that could say that. And we were certainly severely uh, impaired and impacted because we knew the importance of our people and getting us through on the other side. Uh, when we do interview, uh, it's a highly technical business. Obviously, we'll, we'll review technical qualifications and skills, but there's a lot of technical attributes of the job that we can train for. What you cannot train for is a heart of service and an indication of how that individual is going to be able to respond, as we've been talking, in the moment in a matter of crisis, uh, to take care of customers, to take care of fellow colleagues, to take care of the community when uh, there is no playbook. And so we will look, I will specifically look for people I interview as to what their track record of service has been. What have they done in their church? What have they done in their community as well as in other, other work experiences to show that they do go the extra mile, that they do have a heart of service. Uh, we can train for, uh, for aptitude. It's really hard to train for attitude. And uh, that's one of the things that we spend a lot of time understanding. Ed, our time is almost ending here. Um, what are the headwinds you see coming up for the airline industry? It seems like it's back to pre-post-pandemic travel levels. Your airline certainly appears to be in great financial health. What do most people not know about how difficult it is to lead and sustain a financially safe, healthy airline? Well, the airline industry has, uh, over time, had its challenges and whether it's uh, fuel uh, spikes, which we're, we're going through currently, geopolitical tensions and the unfortunate uh, situation we see on the ground in, in Israel and Gaza indicate just how fraught uh, those, some of those tensions can be, uh, as well as what we have continuing happening to us that we see in Ukraine. Uh, it's, it's an industry that has a lot of demand for its, its services. People you know, are, are returning to the air like never before. We're on a, a good 18 to 24 month uh, recovery of travel that I, guess, I think is gonna continue for the next several years to come, that revenge travel that people like to talk about. And our ability to manage all of that while at the same time training uh, a lot of new employees, bringing a lot of new experience to bear, uh, managing the infrastructure constraints in our industry, air traffic control. Uh, it's a lot been talked about how the ATC systems continue to need modernization. Their staffing levels aren't where they need to be. Uh, weather is a challenge in our business and uh, whatever your view on climate change is, there's no question that we're seeing more change uh, real time than we've had historically. And you, you put all that together that we, we still have to go out and perform 5,000 times every single day in whatever the elements are and make certain our, our staff is properly supported in delivering that service. And I'm proud to say the people of Delta do it better than anyone. Ed, let's finish with uh, your own career journey. Would you maybe share a level of vulnerability that may be natural for you, but maybe unnatural for other you know, public company CEOs? What's a mistake you made in your career that you were able to recover from or correct or learn from that you think is of ubiquitous value to everybody listening? Is there a time in your career where something happened, you made a mistake, and you're willing to talk about it, and it could instruct the rest of us to be better fathers, mothers, parents, leaders, 
friends, caregivers, humans? Well, I don't, I, I've made a lot of mistakes, Scott. And I, the, the, the podcast isn't long enough for me to go through all the, uh, all the mistakes that I, uh, I've made. But I'll tell you, one of the most important career events for me in that same vein was I saw a lot happening here at Delta earlier in my career that I was not happy with. I saw mistakes being made. It was shortly after 9-11 and the company was really languishing and had lost sight of the, the importance of its people and were cutting cost and cutting pay and cutting amenities to customers. And I decided that the strategy of the company was not right. And I was in a, I was not running the company by any means, but I was in a pretty senior position. And I decided to leave the company. And I, I really regretted that decision. And it was hard for me to, uh, to, uh, to address, but I, I could not work for a company that I did not see having the values or the vision that, that I shared for the opportunity that was ahead of Delta. Uh, fortunately, six months after I left, the CEO then of the company called me back and asked me if I would consider coming back and acknowledge that uh, many of the th reasons why I left were, were the right reasons and that I would he'd give me the responsibility to come back and fix the things I saw that I could fix and start to get the company back on the right track. So 20 years later, here am I. And uh, I, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair today if I hadn't made that decision 20 years ago. Ed Bastian, that you have a lot more important things to do today, including uh, the care and feeding of 100,000 of your employees and their families and your vendors and customers. But I appreciate you taking the time to come and talk a little bit about your own leadership journey. Uh, you're a class act. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Scott. And to all the, uh, the, the members of our program and the loyal Delta travelers that listen to your program, I thank you all for your, your uh, business with Delta, including you, Scott. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.